you can open up to, uh, to Romans chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. All right, let me show you a picture of my darling three-year-old. This is Everly, and, um, and Everly has this really, really funny thing that she does that our whole family finds hysterical, um, and, and it's this. Whenever you say almost anything to Everly, um, here's what she does. She goes, eh, eh, and she sounds like your great-grandmother, and what's funny is she doesn't really get this right here that you go, eh, so here's what she does. She goes, eh. And she'll put her hand here, and we all just think it's really funny. Now, a part of this is, uh, for one-third of her life, she has heard English, and for two-thirds of her life, she heard no English. So some of this is just language and acquisition and all that kind of stuff. We think her hearing is just fine. We don't even know where she picked this up, because we don't live, like our great-grandmother doesn't live with us. Uh, we don't watch shows about great-grandmothers. I don't know where she got it, but she just does this all of the time. Um, it's really frustrating not to be able to hear. And it's frustrating for her. We, we know that. Um, and it's also frustrating not to be heard, isn't it? Like this creates marital tension. Some of you just looked at your spouse. That was awesome. This creates marital tension. This creates sibling tension, boss and employee and neighbor and, and all of this. Um, if I throw up this idea of selective hearing, you all have kind of a general sense probably of what this means. Let me take a crack at it. Selective hearing is this, hearing only what you want to hear. Roughly what you're thinking about it. Yeah. Okay, um, so it turns out that there is a little bouncer who lives on your eardrum. And this bouncer only lets in words and ideas that are on the approved guest list. And if they're not on the approved guest list, even though those sound waves come in through your ear, that little bouncer who lives on your eardrum says no and stops that idea or those words from coming in. Now here's a completely random example, totally hypothetical, but it could happen. Let's say you have a daughter named Briley. And Briley says this. Um, she comes to you with a request, and you as the father, uh, let's say your father's name happens to be Dave, a common American name, um, and you say this. You may go to the mall with your friends after you do the dishes. Daughter Briley says, sweet, I can go to the mall. Father says, um, uh, after you do the dishes. Daughter replies, you never said anything about the dishes. Okay, this is selective hearing, right? So she heard, but she really only capitalized on one part of things. Um, as we know, uh, some have a bigger, stronger, more selective bouncer than others, right? If you tell a dog to come, many times, my dog's a lab, he'll come on the first thing. If you don't get a dog to come on the first time, what do you do? Come on, boy! And he just comes. Like the, It only takes a couple of times. How about that cat? You could do a song and dance. You could light your hair on fire. That cat ain't coming if that cat doesn't want to come, right? Big old bouncer in that one. Here's the point. We have incredible capacity to hear what we want to hear and to filter out ideas and thoughts that we don't want to hear. Today, I want to show you from this letter in Romans that ancient excuse making is surprisingly current. We're going to see some excuses in the book of Romans, a biblical book written a long time ago, that you're going to go, yep, that rings really true for me. We're in this series, we're calling Colossal Truth, and Colossal has, has this double ring. Colossal means this, these are truths that are as serious as a heart attack. Even though I like to laugh and like to have fun up here, I am proclaiming to you truths that are as serious as a heart attack. But secondly is this. 
Not only are they incredibly serious, they are incredibly universal. This idea of perfecting not my fault is present in every human heart. And what we're going to see is it was present a long time ago to a people far, far away, and it's present right here in this room this morning. Now let me review a little bit. If you weren't here last week, last week we covered some really, really key things. Look at your Bible for one second. Your Bible is all inspired. I believe it's all helpful. The Bible itself says all of this is inspired and helpful, but some of it is more memorable than other parts of it right? Some of it is more instructive than other parts. Outside of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that verse, outside of John 3.16, what we covered last week, these truths, this idea that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. These are some really critical truths to commit to memory. If you aren't in the habit of of memorizing scripture, I would encourage you to begin small. Start with John 3.16, And then move on to a verse like this. These are really important truths. And a part of what we saw from this this last week was was this, that we we saw the simplicity of the gospel. Remember that? Remember the Google search? The Google search was this. It's a white page with a little search box. All you got to do is type it in by faith, click search, and away things go. Now, there's a whole bunch of complexity to it. There's all kinds of stuff you could study for a lifetime and write for a lifetime, much like the rest of the gospel. But at its very core, that's the simplicity of the gospel. But not only did we see the simplicity of the gospel, we also read about the necessity of the gospel. Look at how it's worded. The idea is this, that you must call on God to be saved. Well, how can you call on God unless there's belief? Belief is required to call. And hearing is required to believe. And preaching is required so that people can hear the saving message. And sending is required if you're going to have preachers. Do you see this sort of progression? Paul just kind of works it backwards. And what is being preached? It's the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. It's proclamation that that news, that something has happened, that a report is being given. Today we, re- we address this reality because this is where the text goes. If this is such good news, why doesn't everyone respond to the offer of Jesus Christ? Why doesn't everyone just want to get in on the good news? Look at verse 16. Our, t- our text this morning uh, starts in 16. So when I, when I handed out this passage a while ago, I told Gree, I said, you got a great one, man. you got a great passage. I mean, they're all great passages. Uh, I don't want to be struck dead and say there are bad passages in the Bible. Uh, but he got a really good one. And the, and the pendulum then sort of swings back. But not all have obeyed the gospel. So it's available to everyone, and everyone who calls on it will be saved. But not all have obeyed the gospel. The truth is that a majority of Jews, God's chosen people, the Israelites, today reject Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. That's true today, and it was true when Paul was writing in the time of this letter of the Bible. So what we're looking at this morning is why. Why is that true? Would you pray with me for a minute? God, we don't really need to invite you anywhere. You are sovereign and present and rightfully uh, allowed in anywhere. But God, we invite you in the sense of opening our hearts, opening our minds to what you would say to us. 
God, we trust the proclamation of your word. We trust that you have uh, things for us to feed our soul, to remind us of truths, to spur us on to action, to awaken us to new realities that we didn't know before. And we look to that uh, from you. I pray, God, this morning that uh, you would help our people test what's being said, um, to let go of things that are not from you, are not scriptural, and to cling to those um, that are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you another parable. I gave you one a couple weeks ago. If it helps to close your eyes to kind of get there, then you can do that. You are in Target buying items you probably don't need in quantities that you certainly don't need. As you peruse Christmas decorations in October, you overhear a mom calling out to her cherub, Timmy, we are leaving now. Come and take my hand. After hearing this a second time in a, in a louder and slightly more forceful way, you turn to see Timmy engaged in his own little shopping world, seemingly oblivious to the words of his mother. You have kids too, and so you catch the mom's eye and you offer her a knowing smile, trying to encourage her that we've all been there. What happens next stuns and stays with you because of the sheer madness of it. Mom walks over to Timmy and begins to administer a hearing test, complete with the big headphones and the low-tone beeps in each ear, with instructions to little Timmy to raise his hand if he hears a beep in either ear. After marking Timmy's scores on a clipboard, yes, a clipboard, that's the inspiration for the iPad, by the way, she then breaks out into a word study with little Timmy on the following words, leaving, take, and hand. You are so enthralled that you rush over to the summer clearance patio furniture section, you set up a beach chair, you open up that bag of Doritos that you haven't paid for yet, because you realize this little scene playing out in front of you is way better than any Game of Thrones episode and a lot cleaner. Now, first part of the scenario has happened in every target everywhere. Parent trying to get kid to come. The second part of that little scenario has happened in no target anywhere. Why? Because parents know there is a problem, but it's not a hearing problem. Parents know there is a problem, but it's not an understanding or comprehension problem. What is the problem? Disobedience. That's it. Everyone recognizes the problem, but it's not hearing or understanding. Proper diagnosis leads to correct treatment. If mom is thinking in her head, if only I could get him to hear me. He is hearing you. He's just not listening. If only I could get him to understand the entomology of these words and the root meanings and how I'm using it in this sentence structure. Oh, he gets it plenty fine. He's just choosing not to listen or heed what you're saying in this moment. I want you to listen to our text. I'm going to read it out loud. And I want you to listen for how the gospel is simple, it's near, and it's necessary. It's just that people are ignoring it. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 10. Even though our passage is 16 through the end of the chapter, I had to bump up to 13 because it's so exciting. Here we go. 
Verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news, friends. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Uh, Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate, to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul plainly lays a lack of saving faith at the feet of his own countrymen and calls on their own greatest leaders and greatest prophets to bear witness. Now, you don't even need to read what's on the screen, so take a deep breath. What you see is this, though. On the left-hand side are Old Testament quotations. That's the scriptures. In New Testament times, that is the body of work called the scriptures. He is calling to bear the scriptures and interpreting modern-day Israel in in his context, which is the Romans, to bear and saying that your own greatest prophets and leaders bear witness against you. The gospel has the power to save. Remember Romans 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Everything's laid out for salvation to occur. Messengers have been sent. Preachers have preached. People have heard, but they have not listened in faith. If you want to write down one thing this morning, write this down. This is in your notes. It's the central truth. And it says this, Israel's lack of salvation rests on her lack of belief, not on a failure of God's word. He's already started this theme in Romans 3, and he's now developing it in Romans 10. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And he goes on to answer that with his, Meganoita! By no means! That is the furthest thing from the truth. So that's what he's establishing in this chunk of Scripture. He brings up Isaiah by name, Israel's greatest prophet, to bear witness against him. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I did a lot of study this week on the word believe, kind of all through Romans, and particularly in chapter 4 and chapter 10. There's just so much to it. And I'm actually going to ask you as community group leaders, or as community groups and as individuals, go study that for yourself. It's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, interesting study and helpful. But we're going to leave that for community groups. This morning I want to hone in 
um, on an area that's common to those who are sitting inside of churches and those who sit outside of churches, and that is excuses. Proverbs 17 was read this morning, just part of my reading plan, and listen to what I read. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Mind you, all week long, my mind has been soaking in the fact that we make excuses for ourselves. We self-justify. Not my fault. And we saw this in the garden, right? <laughs> Lord, it was this woman you gave to me. The woman says it was the snake that tempted me. Not my fault has been the beginning of our story and woven all the way through. You know, I grew up, some of you know this, but I grew up... Um, in two different homes. And on one week, I needed to never make excuses for not going to church. You know why? We didn't go to church. When I stayed with my mom on that week, I needed to make no excuses as to, as to why I didn't want to go to church. On the opposite week, when I stayed with my dad and, I, and my stepmom, I had to come up with excuses as to why I didn't want to come to church. Now, I'm a pretty creative person. I had to muster all of my creativity in my household because my parents weren't pushovers. So, um, if I said that I was sick, I woke up feeling sick. You ever feel sick on a bright, sunny Friday and you have to go to work? I felt sick often on sunny mornings, right around wake-up time. I just came down with I didn't feel that good. Well, in my house, empirical data was needed to prove it. So, immediately, out came the thermometer. Okay, so that was part of it. The thermometer was there, but then there was also circumstantial evidence, um, you know, about being really fine and energetic and, you know, your normal self last night when we put you to bed. And then I grew up with three brothers, and if you grew up with siblings, you know that there's all kinds of witnesses that come most often, not to my defense in staying away from church, uh, but, but further accusations. He was fine this morning. In fact, he told me, I'm going to try to pretend I'm sick. <laughs> Would you pipe down? That was said in the strictest of confidence. So I'm sick didn't really work that well. Homework? Well, you can go to church and pray about the fact that you shouldn't have procrastinated. Uh, you know, anything that I tried, it was boring, I don't know people, I just don't want to go. None of that really worked. In fact, with my family, we left early so that we would go to a park and ride and leave the parking spaces for people who might be late. And when I started to realize as a teenager so I could have been getting 40 minutes of extra sleep every Sunday by just driving into the parking lot? Parents who are in the midst of the battle, let me encourage you with this. What I used to criticize about my parents, I now praise about my parents. I thank them for living out their convictions and passing on, not just in word, but in deed, that this is really important. And by the way, we're here to serve um, fellow people in the church. Paul's a lot like a spiritual parent, and he loves people with a parent's love, and he's basically lovingly speaking the truth to his countrymen in this passage. 
Paul's back to his rhetorical questions, which he's used all through Romans, and you get this sense that he's heard these pushbacks before. Whenever you open your mouth for Jesus, you begin to get some sort of normal pushback, and you can almost predict where the pushback's going to come from. So you can hear as you read this what he must have, have done. Um, so we're going to look at these excuses one at a time, and, um, and the first one is this. We never heard this before. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Answer, indeed they have, for the voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, I don't know if we have anyone who's Jewish in here this morning, but a Jew would have immediately recognized this as one of their own great psalms in their own scriptures, Psalm 19. Many of you this morning could have picked that out from a lineup. He's returning to an idea that he initiated in Romans 1, which is this. That the unseen things of God are visible through what he has made. Therefore, God has not left himself without a witness. Therefore, mankind is not without an excuse. He's saying, Israel, every single day and every single night, God speaks in abundance. What he doesn't go into here, but what their minds probably would have tracked to is this. First part of Psalm 19 is all about creation. What's, what does it move on to? What's part two of Psalm 19 about? He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in the written law. It's almost like we know verse one of a song. We already know where verse two goes, and that's even further indictment that we don't just have general revelation about God and creation. We're the Israelites. We've got the written law of God. He spelled it out for us. Of all people, we can't use that excuse that we never heard. Isn't this excuse common today? Here's how it sounds in my ears. I'm sharing someone about Jesus, and they say this, wait a minute, what about all of those who have never heard? You ever hear that excuse? What about all those who haven't heard? And here's the answer to that. What about you who has heard? That's the issue in question right now. What about you who has heard? Do you know that your ears never stop growing? Bones stop growing after puberty. Muscles and fat cells stop dividing. But cartilage continues to grow until the day you die. Here's a pro tip for living. If you don't like the size of your nose or the size of your ears, take heart. They're changing right now. They will be a different size in five years than they are right now. So take heart. Here's the point of that. Ears don't stop developing, but hearing can cease to develop. And I'm not just talking about hard of hearing. I'm talking about the capacity for us to stop listening and stop hearing things that don't fit our worldview that we like and are comfy with. That's a frightening thought. Seems that those who are most in danger of missing the saving power of the gospel are those who are closest to the speaker. Everly going, eh! It's not that she can't hear, she's, 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 but she's right there. That's, that's, that can be us. That certainly was Israel. Israel had it all in their favor, but they reject Jesus. This is from Romans 9, just a quick recap. The Israelites belong, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, but that's not all. The patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, they had Christ come through, who is God forever. Amen. Those with it all right there are the ones rejecting it. 
And they're using the excuse, we never heard. Back to the central truth. Israel's lack of salvation rests on her lack of belief. It's not that God isn't coming through on his promises. If you're like me, and this morning you thought of some ways to get out of church this morning, or maybe you were listening intently to that part of the story, because you're like, maybe I'm missing something. Dave is a creative guy. Maybe there's an excuse I haven't thought of yet. Remember, I just gave your parents some ammunition back on that. So, uh, but if that's you, here's a huge warning to you. I grew up going to church every other week. Some of you I see every single week. And you're still figuring it out. You're going, is this, is this for me or not? Is this, is this real or is it not? The message of the gospel that's really profound, a lot of people don't get, is this. It is not God's grace, God's favor is not based on proximity, that is nearness, and it's not a good old boys club. It's not that, well, you gave a lot, and so God's got to treat you well. Well, listen, you're, you're an Israelite, and you've got these things, so we've got to kind of let in a special thing. I take great heart in seeing that the chosen people of God get into God's family by faith, the same as a wicked Gentile far from God who doesn't have any of that history on, on, on his side. This last week, I never saw the resolution of it, but this last week I saw on the news um, some surfers being interviewed, I think on Ocean Beach in, in, um, in San Francisco, and it showed Coast Guard helicopters flying around. A man who was fully clothed was in distress. And I'm not sure how the surfers weren't able to get to him, but they were in a full-scale search looking for this person um, who, was, who was out at sea. Now, I hope it ended well. I don't know how it ended well, but I can envision this person being rescued by the Coast Guard and then being questioned and said, do you know how many thousands of dollars in equipment, in man hours, and in all that went on, went into your rescue? Why on earth didn't you heed the warning? And I can envision this guy saying, I, no one ever told me anything. And then the, the, the pressing back to say, you didn't see signs posted about riptides uh, on the beach? Yeah, actually, I, I've seen those signs so many times, though, I, I don't even see them anymore. Don't you remember that you came with some friends that warned you the ocean's a really dangerous place? And by the way, this ocean beach is really open to currents and you can get sucked out really, really quickly. Yeah, my friend did say that. Didn't you see lifeguard towers all along the beach? Doesn't that indicate to you that there's some danger, there's some sense of watching that's going on? Yeah, I guess I did. And by the way, people were frantically on the beach shouting, you're in a riptide, get out of it, swim this way. Yeah, but, but what about everyone else? Do you hear how, how hollow that falls? Who cares about what anyone else heard out there? We're talking about you and the ignoring of the warnings that go on. My call to you today is this. Friends, listen to me. Sin is a riptide. For some of you, it is happening so subtly and so slowly that you can hardly notice that your friends and family on the beach are getting smaller and smaller. For some of you, you know this. Sin has grabbed you, and it has been violent and scary, and it's yanking you out to sea. All sinners, I mean all people, are sinners. 
both by nature and by choice. And so you have a call going out to you today. There is a way out of sin. Sin is sucking you out to sea. Worse than that, straight to your death, now or later. And the simple call is this, brother, sister, friend, get out. The saving work of Christ is available to you. We've been singing about it already. I'm going to continue to proclaim it here. It's a simple matter of trust. All who call on the Lord will be saved. That simple. Don't worry about who else has heard this. You're hearing it right now. Our tendency is to say, what about them? That's an excuse. That's trying to shift responsibility away from you. And you didn't come up with it. You can turn to John 21 if you'd like. It's powerful to see this. In John chapter 21... This is Jesus sort of reinstating Peter. Remember Peter denied him three times at his deepest point of need? He bailed on him as a friend, bailed on him as a follower. And Jesus comes and he's reinstating him. And three times he asks, Peter, do you love me? And it actually begins to distress Peter. Lord, you know everything. You know that I do. Like, why are you asking me this? And then he says, follow me. And then listen to what he says in John 21, 21. When Peter saw him, he's talking about John. John's sort of like a brother. He's just a, a peer. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Do you see it? I mean, if you grew up in a house with siblings, you get this. Uh, this happened yesterday. Just, just popped in my mind. A chore was issued by a loving father. It was a fairly small chore. It wasn't a big deal. Immediately, precious child that I love. What about them? That happened in my house yesterday. I mean, we get this. This is the human heart. What is that? Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. I know you're hearing this. I know you understand those three words. All right. Excuse busted, right? God speaks to the whole world. Next. Uh, it wasn't clear or we didn't understand. If this was family feud, you'd say survey says, ding, ding, ding. That's the number two answer. Very good. Verse 19. Look at it. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Maybe that's the problem. Here's his answer. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and a foolish, with a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is as bold to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me. Moses and Isaiah are being brought up against their excuses. Huge thing to a Jew. These are our greatest leaders and our greatest prophet being brought to bear on us. Friends, the gospel is simple, it's near, and it's necessary. You understand it, you just aren't listening. Here's the problem. We hear without heeding. When you hear without heeding, you aren't really listening. Does anyone be reminded of this with the, uh, the, the sheep and the goats? Jesus tells a parable sort of at the end of the age, and he's judging, and it's the sheep and the goats. And he's saying to the goats, those who aren't going to enter into the kingdom... He says to them, I was in prison, you didn't visit me, I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And you hear their back, like, Lord, Lord, when? 
When were you in prison and, and, and we didn't visit you? When were you hungry? And you just sense sort of this backpedaling. And what is his answer to that? That if, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And, and if you overlook the least of these, you've overlooked me. You know, God's working this incredible plan of redemption. And he's using this idea. Look at the wall over there. That rejection symbolizes Romans 9 through 11. He is using this rejection of Israel, catch this, to bring the salvation message to the ends of the whole wicked earth. If you know your church history at all, you know that persecution of the church leads to the spread of its power through the gospel, right? In AD 70, Jerusalem, the temple falls. And what happens to the Christians? They're persecuted. What do they do? They scatter far and wide. You'll be my witnesses to Judea and Samaria and the other parts of the world. Little did they know that's going to take place through persecution. Even to this day, you shove a church underground, it emerges decades later, thriving like a wildfire. So as persecution spreads the power of the gospel, so the rejection of Israel uh, has proven to bring the message intact to non-seekers. You know who are non-seekers? Gentiles. The foolish ones who are ignorant of the things of God that are finding God, the ones who are being revealed to God that aren't even asking for him, text talks about, that's Gentiles. This is a really common excuse today. Here's how it lands on my ears. Religions are confusing. I just don't understand. You know how you can answer that? You can lovingly and simply say, can I take two minutes of your time? I think I can clear it up. You know what that does? Sort of puts the onus on them. If it's simply an excuse, ah, who can understand it all? Who can know? You can't give two minutes to say, okay, I'll, I'll give you a good shot. Two minutes, you got it. If people backpedal from there, they don't even want to know, right? That's an excuse that they're hiding behind. If someone ever invites you into those two minutes, friend, you better know what you're going to say. You better use those two minutes really, really well. Two weeks ago, we worked on our testimony just saying, man, how do you do this in 30 seconds? If you're given 30 seconds to talk about, you know, uh, being Lord uh, uh, under someone else to, to Lord of Jesus, how do you do that? If someone gives you two minutes, let me, let me extend to you this. Some of you have heard of the bridge illustration. Here's what I did so that you can have this. This looks pretty complex. This is far more complex than I normally draw it out. But this is the very first hit when you type Google and you type the bridge illustration. Do you know what hits come up? My entire page, I looked at almost every one of them. Almost all of them had the gospel pretty accurate. This is the very first image. You know why I'm giving this to you? Your phone, which either has iOS 10 or 11, according to Ben, uh, or some other operating system, that is a walking Bible track that is probably with you at all times. It may be worth taking the first 20 seconds of your two minutes, if you haven't committed this to memory, to punch in the bridge illustration, click on images, and pull this thing up in front of you so it can kind of guide you through it. But here's what I tell people. This is the bridge illustration. I sometimes do the whole thing of we're on this side, a holy God's over here. Here is, here is one of the most powerful things in our culture. Another form of this excuse is all religions at their core, are the same. Superficially, they're sort of different. Here's what I would say. 
I would say that's utter nonsense. At their core, all religions are totally different. And at best, superficially, there are some similarities. Look at the bridge illustration for a second. Here's what you do. I've got a laser pointer. How cool is that? All right. Here's, here's man. There's no cross yet. You say, here's God over here. How on earth can, can man bridge the gap with the sin that we all know that we have in our hearts, in our lives? Hear me. Every single other religion in the known world and every other philosophy begins construction of this on man's side. Every one of them. You want to know what sets Christianity apart in two minutes or less? Here it is. In Christianity, we're the only ones. God starts the construction project. God completes the construction project. That's why we have a bridge to God. If it weren't for God building the bridge, there is no bridge. It looks like we're getting different distances to God, but it's not. That's what sets Christianity apart, friends. That may be new to you this morning. If you want to understand that more, I'll give you a bonus two minutes after service and we can talk about it some more. Remember the illustration last week? By the way, Gria gave you two simple great ways to talk about the gospel to a people who are immediately resistant to bridge illustrations, to church, Jesus, crosses, Bibles, and all that kind of stuff. He gave you Google and he gave you Tokyo. Remember Tokyo? The only way a child can get to Tokyo, they never have to worry about, am I going to get there in time? Do I know the right lines? Do I even read and know these things? No. You, you take the Father's hand, and He leads you there. If He doesn't lead you to Tokyo, you don't go to Tokyo. Yeah, but some got further than others. No, no, no. They just got on a plane somewhere, maybe. They maybe got into a line that's different. It all looks one way from us. But you don't get to Tokyo as a child unless your Father takes you by the hand, who knows the way to Tokyo, and gets you there. God built the bridge. No more excuses. End the charade. Paul now levels his loving but devastating assessment of the Jews. Look at verse 21 one more time. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. What about you? This section applies specifically to Israel but shows the universal problem of the human heart. You are sitting here this morning, and you are unwittingly fulfilling prophecy. Did you know that? I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. I don't care if you're rebellious and obstinate against God, or if you've bent the knee and you're worshiping God today. You are fulfilling prophecy. When I, was, uh, when I trusted Christ at age 17, hear me, I was not seeking after God. I went into that church service, bummed that I had to go to church at, at, at night. We already went three times in the morning for three hours. We have to go back at night too? I wasn't seeking after God, but God was seeking after me. At best, I was a backslidden moralist, having a general sense I should probably do the right thing or God might smite me. I'm not even sure what that means, but I think it's bad. But I say backslidden because I wasn't very committed to being a moralist. And God took a 17-year-old whose hormones were raging like every other 17-year-old, who was planning out his life thinking he would live forever. And God took that young man and he made him righteous in his sight. 
because of a simple step of faith, a simple act of, I received that. I called on the name of Jesus, and he saved me. That's it. There's a sort of surprise to God's grace. It shows up in a near word. You know what's funny? We have this little, small, local church, and some of you have given this kind of testimony. Man, to look at this church from the outside, you hardly even know it's here. I lived nearby. I drove by. I, I didn't even know it was here. That's what people say. And who knew that this little local church, just by the proclamation of the gospel, has this amazing, loving church family? And I walk in here and I get a sense that the Spirit of God is present. It's something supernatural the way I was welcomed in. It's something supernatural that I really was able to come as I was, but God didn't lead me there. He, he grew me and changed me and saved me. The Word is as close as your local church, but it's closer. It's as close as a Bible app on your phone. The Bible says the Word is in your heart. These things that you hear, you go, yeah, God's actually been preaching that message to my heart, and I don't even go to church. The word is as near as, as your local church and in your heart and as far as the law. You know, the law you can never attain. Greg covered that well. Here's another surprise of grace. Is that it's received by faith versus achieved by effort. That's why this is so surprising to people. The grace of God is only received, never achieved. It's the same simple way for everyone. If you're a great moralist and you think you've done a great job, same act of faith is required to be in God's family. Or if you're a rebel, a party animal, one who just chucks all things of God, finds it hysterical that people preach to you, it's the same simple way. The fact that you are here in this place is no accident. There's been a message that has gone out today, friends. Here's what's left for salvation. You to receive it by faith. Some of you said, I've already, I've already made that choice. You know what you ought to do? You ought to, you ought to break down and just give God praise. God, it was no accident that you had me in an evening service years and years ago in the late 80s to open my eyes to you. And it's no accident that you're here this morning. Jesus saves completely. There's no sin you've committed that's too great. There's no person who is too far away from God's grace. But I'm not even seeking him. I'm not even asking for him. I don't know that I could understand this. Yes, you can. The call has gone out. Jot these down. Here's your takeaway from this morning. Hear. What, what do we do? We simply hear. In all of its meaning and fullness, attentive and responsive and understanding. Secondly, we go and preach. Do you know we've all been sent to be preachers? There's the office of preacher, but every single Christian is bearing witness. It's not that they're to be a witness. You are bearing witness of a great and glorious and good father. How are you doing with it? That's the only question left. But we are all to bear witness. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, watch this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling to the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, that is our call as Christians. You are an ambassador for Christ. Here's the amazing news. Here's what God does. He prepares listeners. You continue opening your mouth, you're going to find people say, I want that. And much to your shock, you'll say, you do? You better be ready, friend. Man, take that person and hand their hand off to Jesus and praise God. That's a supernatural act. He also sends speakers. Do you know where the office of preacher can't possibly get to this coming week? Your living room? Your cubicle? Your desk at school? The places you live? We come and be encouraged, friends, but then God scatters us to all these different places. He providentially has his hand on where you work, live, and play. And finally, he's patient with both the ignorant and the ignoring. You know who the ignorant are in our text today? It's the Gentiles. Those who are far from God, knew nothing of God, aren't really seeking God. Plurality of gods and worshiping and child sacrifice, all kinds of horrific stuff was going on to try and bridge the gap. You know who the ignoring are in the passage? It's the Jews. The ones who had it spelled out, they could have diagrammed the bridge illustration perfectly. They knew it all. God is patient with both the ignorant and the ignoring. Listen to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The band's going to lead us in a song that I hope washes over you with incredible truth. It's the kindness of God that will woo us to repentance, friends. And he loves you. Sing this with us.